So you wanna watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark. What's going on, everyone? I'm Jared. And I'm Drew. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where normally we'd put 20 movies up on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. But this week, it's a bit of a bonus episode, a bit of a unique episode, Drew. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, we so we've got a little weird setup here. We got Jared here in Denver in, uh, in my house with me recording this. Um, depends. I, I'm not sure when this one's going to drop, if this is going to drop before or after the other one, but I guess you're getting an intro to that and under also understanding simultaneously how long we wait in between dropping episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's really kind of uh, exposing how the sausage is made a little bit on the old dartboard movie bit. night Because I, I, I have to believe that this one's probably going to come out early because we want to capitalize on the yeah. fact that this is in theaters, people are able to see it, but we are tonight covering Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, so this is kind of a, as we're mentioning, really a kind of unique episode, so... Drew, as many people probably know, Drew lives in Colorado. I live in Georgia. And we don't actually get together in person that often, but I'm out here for a trip and we kind of had this idea like, hey, what if we just did like a random episode about a movie that's actually in theaters now? We go see it at the same time. We see it together. and Because we, we were going to do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. We were going to see this movie. So why not just do kind of like a kind of like an instant gut reaction feedback episode yeah. to something that's not on the board and something that is kind of maybe what? more uh, broadly culture is talking about right now. Yeah, so. I mean, I think it'll be it'll be a fun uh, episode that uh, hopefully people who don't, you know, watch the movies and track along with the pod regularly can jump right in because mm-hmm. it seems like everybody's seeing this movie right now, which is fucking awesome. And yeah. I love to see that it's doing really well. Um, it definitely deserves all the attention and love that it's getting. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to kind of just dive into it. I think, you know, in addition to those reasons for covering it, I think also uh, I am a massive fucking Tom Cruise fan. Huge. Uh, Biggest I know, I would say. Separating the art from the artist, I want to be very clear. I understand all the problematic things about Tom Cruise, but the reality is the guy just makes movies that speak to me, the movies that I love, and uh, I'm always always game to talk Tom Cruise. Of course. Um, of course. And this one I have literally been looking forward to for like five years at this point since wow. it was announced. Like It was announced in 2017, 2018, something like that, and... Uh, it was filmed in 2019, was supposed to come out summer 2020, and obviously pandemic put a damper on that. And, you know, Cruz really, like, held on to this one and wanted to wait until the right moment. And, I mean, based on the box office returns, it seems like he timed it exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of beg the question of, like, what are some of the longest movies with, like, gaps between sequels? You know, I think of, like, something like Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 is something that comes to mind. And whenever they, whenever I hear or sniff these out that there's these going to be the sequel decades later, mm-hmm. kind of the alarm bells always start going, and it just seems a bit of a cash grab, and it seems like why now sort of thing. It's the state of the fucking movie industry right now. Yeah. It drives me crazy. Crazy. I mean, like another example would be the the Ghostbusters piece of shit that came out yeah, last like what? year. Yeah. So, but it's. Both Blade Runner twenty forty nine and I will say this Top Gun Maverick. You picked up the two good ones, yeah. Yeah, those are sometimes it really works. I'm like, holy shit, this is an amazing movie. Um, And I, you know, not to not to to spoil my where I'm at, but I kind of felt that way about Top Gun Maverick. I thought this movie was fucking sick. Well, let's just start there. I mean, like, tell me what you loved about it. How? Let's start. Actually, let's back up a little bit. What was your familiarity with the original? Yeah. Um. You know, we we watched that this week, but uh, I mean, where? What's your background with it? 
Yeah, so Top Gun is interesting. I feel like um, a lot of people in our generation, it's it can be perceived as like a kind of a foundational movie for people our age. It was not foundational for me. It was a movie that I kind of came to relatively late. Like if I was going to guess, I think the first time I saw it, I was maybe 19 or 20. And I thought, oh, this is pretty good. You know, it's definitely cheesy, but it is kind of good ham and cheese fun. I enjoyed it. And then I saw it again for the second time, maybe two years ago, two, three years ago, and liked it a little bit more than I expected. Um, So for me, I always thought it was a solid movie, good 80s flick, good cruise movie, but also just thought it was pretty okay. It never really blew my hair back, but uh, definitely thought it was cool. What was was kind of your reaction to the original? I have more of a a base with this than than you do, it sounds like. you know, Top Gun was a movie that my dad showed me when I was probably, you know, 10 or 11, something like that. It was one that he really loved, um, you know, from from his kind of he was he was, I guess, 25, 26 when this came out. So, you know, it was just all about it. Did um, he have a thing for planes? Because I know the, uh, you said he really likes the right stuff. And and that's one that's on the board. Yeah, I, I don't know if he necessarily had a thing for planes specifically. I think he just he liked uh, he. he He's always liked, you know, war movies and, um, you know, he he was the the guy who would get super excited about wanting, you know, go to the Air and Space Museum and, you know, the uh, Civil War battlefields that we grew up near. So, like, anyway, he, he's I think he's just kind of like has a he likes military movies and stories about uh, about heroism, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also was just a guy who loved like a good schlocky '80s action movie. You yeah, Top Gun definitely uh, checks that bill. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't even know if I would necessarily call it schlocky. I don't think it's that, but I think it's like um, it knows what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to be anything other than a good fun movie, and uh, I, you know, to the it, it's to the point where it's uh, it's almost laughable the way that they make the movie kind of completely. Uh, viewpointless, you know, like it's not about like, uh, you know, the U.S. versus, you know, the Russian ideals. It's not, you know, any sort of political statement or any sort of like statement on the value of the military. It's just here. Look at this fucking badass pilot. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see him do some cool shit. Yeah. Like that's kind of what it, what it boils down to. And I think, you know, in large part, the new one does a lot of the same stuff. Um, but we'll get to that. I yeah. mean, you know, just going back to my basis with it, I, you know, yeah, again, I saw it with my dad when I was really young. Um, I rewatched it within the last three or four years, um, uh, for, for the first time in a long time and, and had a really good time with it. But honestly, when we watched it, you know, a few days ago in preparation for Top Gun Maverick, I had an even better time with it than I ever have before. I bought a new Blu-ray of it. We were watching it on my TV, cranked the volume, like really got the sub going. And, uh, man, you know, there's something about, just the way an engine rumbles in a movie and it, and it, and that feeling is is really just uh it takes me there man for sure and i i completely agree with you this most recent viewing of the original top gun is my favorite that i've ever had with it also and it really it really stuck out to me what you said earlier about how it kind of the movie takes itself like the perfect amount of serious like it's it's definitely really going for some of these kind of fun action cool ideas, mm-hmm. but the movie is not like smelling its own its own farts. It's having fun with some of the absurdity of it, but it's um, but it's not it's not it's not all a joke either. Like it's no. taking it's it's really trying at at times too. I mean, it's trying the whole time, but it's just I don't know. I like movies that don't take themselves too seriously, and I would say the original Top Gun was definitely one of those, but also has legit 
um, you know, legitimate emotional emo- moments. And I really do think Goose is one of the greatest like sidekick characters I've ever seen in a movie. I mean, definitely an unbelievably charismatic and charming performance that is uh, instantly likable. Like mm-hmm. there's really a, so much charm in it, and no, it just sweeps you off your feet as just a viewer. Anthony Edwards is really, really great in it. Um, but, you know, to your point, I mean, in terms of the movie, knowing what it is, I think the perfect example of that from the first movie is um, the character played by James Tolkien. Uh, his name is Stinger, and he's the kind of weathered uh, admiral that in the opening scene when uh, Maverick pulls his crazy maneuver, like goes back out to, to save Cougar and like does the, you know, the the buzz by the the tower and everything. Um, the colonel, or, or sorry, the admiral that's uh, dressing him down and then eventually says, you're going to Top Gun. <laughs> uh, like, it's just, it's so self-aware of what it is. It knows that it's delivering the exact schlocky speech that you expect this character to give to, like, propel the the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, it's almost like the character himself is like, I know I'm about to kick off the plot of this movie. So yeah. here's the plot. Go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like that's the subtext. And it's so I guess I'm just saying, like, I love a movie that knows what it is, isn't trying to be anything other than that and mm. just delivers. Yeah. And that movie delivers. And, you know, much in that way to kind of transition into the new movie, I think the new movie knows exactly what it is. It goes out and it does that the best that it possibly fucking can. And mm-hmm. that's all you can ask for from this kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Well, let's, yeah, let's get into the actual Top Gun Maverick itself. What was your reaction to seeing Top Gun Maverick? Oh, man. I loved it. I I liked it so much. I was trying to th- compare it to a recent, like, cinematic experience that was, like, on par with, like, just enjoyable, amazing movie to see in the theaters. I really, really liked Everything Everywhere All at Once. That movie's great. But I honestly think this was a more kind of visceral and amazing theater experience, even more so than Dune and No Time to Die, kind of fairly recent big blockbuster, got to see it in theater movies. Mm-hmm. And they are very much those things, and they deserve having part of that title built into their DNA. It's like a good movie to watch. But this one, I think, was my favorite. It's in the running for my favorite cinematic experiences of all time, for just like seeing it in the theater. Like, wow. I can't believe how much I just uh, embraced it with open arms. You know, like I kind of mentioned when I was talking about these huge gap sequels, I tend to be a little bit suspicious. I had seen that people were really excited about this. I didn't read any reviews or anything, but I, I knew that it was being warmly embraced by pretty much everybody. So I had an expectation that it was going to be good at the very least, but it it surpassed them. Mm-hmm. I, I I thought the movie was... Uh, fantastic, exciting. Um, I really like the kind of tweak they made on Maverick's character where he still has his cockiness uh, and his kind of confidence, but he's not so cocksure. You know, he still has some of the scarring of of Goose dying and things like that. And we saw towards the end of the original Top Gun him kind of changing under the weight of those consequences. And it was cool to see that decades later... There is still this kind of very confident person underneath it all, but he is not a hundred percent cocksure and confident in everything he does. So, right. made for a kind of a nice uh, balanced character study of of Maverick as a guy. And like, I just thought, um, I love how quickly they made me just buy that he's just like one of the best pilots in the world. I just bought it hook, line, and sinker, and the movie was just 
an absolute blast. I don't know if there'd be like anything I would change about it. Like I really, really, really liked it. And we'll get into some of the specifics of why, but I just thought it was an amazing time at the movies and definitely one I'm going to try to see again in theaters. And I think it's a movie I'll enjoy watching at home too. I don't think it's only going to be a theater experience film. I, uh, not, not to get off track, but I do think after seeing that now, I really, really want to go see it in 4DX now. Yeah. So what is 4DX? 4DX is um, a theater that has chairs that are built on like gimbals. So they like move with Mm -hmm. the movie. So it it puts you into the movie more. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It was kind of a comical thing for a while. Like a lot of people were just like, fuck 4DX. This is the stupidest shit. The funniest one that I heard was like during Batman versus Superman, uh, the chair was like punching you in the back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, to like simulate the punches of Batman <laughs> and Superman. It was like, oh guys, we don't need this. I don't even yeah. need to be assaulted while yeah. I'm watching a movie. I'd rather not. <laughs> uh, which, uh, yeah, I found that really funny. But no, with this one, I've heard it's like a perfect movie for this because, you know, the chair is moving with the plane and you feel like you're in the cockpit. And I heard someone say it was like the best like cinematic experience they've ever had. So oh, I'm, I'm cool. excited to go experience that. But anyway, I mean, my reactions were, I mean, I fucking loved it. It was so great. I might like it a little bit less than you did. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had some issues with, with some of the fan servicey stuff. And, and you know, I, I just, I have a little bit of revulsion to uh, Lega sequels as they are. Um, you know, a legacy sequel where it's, it's you know, taking a property from years and years ago and, and you know, just redoing it essentially and, and bringing it to, to modern days. I'm really sick of that. Like, I hate that we have no originality in filmmaking anymore. Um, But that being said, if someone's going to do it, it better fucking be Tom Cruise and it better be him propelling himself at light speed in a goddamn F-15 or whatever it is. Uh, F-14, I guess, in in the original. And uh, spoilers, the end of this one. But um, anyway, no, I, I... I love this movie. I had so much fucking fun with it. I I can only see it raising in my estimation over time. Um, And yeah, I mean, I... I am, again, a massive Tom Cruise fan, and this delivered on the Tom Cruise of it all. So, so such a huge delivery on that, that cruisy factor. Ugh. I mean, we were talking the other day. So, as mentioned, been kind of hanging out with Drew in Colorado for a little while, and we've been watching a ton of movies. What was, that, what was that Tom Cruise racing one we watched? Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. So, we watched Days of Thunder. Bob Duvall. <laughs> Robert Duvall, Tom Cruise, kind of like a NASCAR underdog sort of movie. Uh, solid flick. As the credits rolled, we kind of had a conversation about like, you know, why don't they really make movies like this anymore? This sort of like, so so what if it's predictable? Mm-hmm. It's a cool movie. It's a fun movie. You don't uh, go in kind of, you know, thinking about uh, the darkness in your past or whatever. Like, you know, it's just an easy watch. You don't have to bring baggage into the movie or like... Yeah. View the, or like have the, the movie leave you with baggage. Yeah, yeah. Or just like analyze <laughs> I process the, shit. <laughs> the depths of human nature and things like that. Like sometimes it's nice to just have just a good movie that's just fun and a blast. And like we have been kind of inundated with things like Marvel movies, which I think try to tap into some of that sort of energy of just being slightly more carefree. Mm-hmm. But you and I both are just so sick of that universe i know i am i'm just tired of superhero movies which it's shocking because i was so excited when they first started coming out the x-men's and really spider-man's cool. yeah um but all that is to say 
I felt like they don't make movies like this anymore, like the role, like the Thunder, you know, NASCAR movie and stuff. And um, never gonna nail. I'm never gonna get the name. It doesn't really deserve. Just for context, this is about the tenth time that Jared has said a name. Not Days of Thunder. It's I do like a variant of Thunder each time. What's the Thunderbolt movie? I think is what you asked me earlier. Yeah, rolling, (laughs) rolling, trembling Thunderbolt, uh, Lightfoot. (laughs) uh, um, Anyway, yeah, it's a. this was proof that this type of movie still exists. Mm. And like there, are, I will say there are things that are surprising in it. The movie is not completely predictable. It does totally. go in some very unexpected and interesting ways. So yeah. I don't want to sell it short and sound like I'm, I'm, I'm minimizing it, but it's, it's was great to just see a movie that was just a blast to fucking watch. Mm-hmm. And like, I had emotional reactions to it. It really kind of just washed over me and just brought me in and, and, and treated me really well. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of, I felt, uh, I walked away from it feeling really good about the experience. Overall. Well, while we're talking about just kind of overall reactions, you know, um, I think this movie is a balance between the new and the fan service, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how specifically on the fan service elements, you know, the things that normally are like really like make me wretch at this kind of, you know, uh, concept of like updating an old property. Um, that's usually a problem for me. And, and in this movie, I had a little bit of problems with it, but what was your what was your overall feeling on the fan servicey elements? Um, when it started, I got nervous because and and like Drew said, we're just going to be spoiling this thing as we work yeah. our way through it. But um, you know, the opening credits, the way it just exactly mirrored the original, I was kind I of I got a little nervous. At I that. was I was right there with you. I was like, oh no, because it's literally it's identical the same thing. until yeah. the Top Gun logo comes up and Maverick comes into the title it it i part of me was struggling with did they just use the same footage again yeah and i you know and i think yeah it was like is this the same exact same intro and from there it goes into kind of slightly more modern but like carrier landings and the same sort of montage that opens the original mm-hmm. um i don't think it uses the same song i could be uh, it might. no it's exactly it's the exact same, same track song. yeah so as that started the movie i was like oh no like are we just is this just going to be a hat tipathon, like a uh just constant deluge of like just references to the old movie and there are a lot of them um not, not as many as the in- intro may have kind of signified but there were a ton and for me my um my nervousness never really uh came into reality like it it didn't it didn't go as bad as i thought it was going to there were one or two that I was like, oh, I wish they had handled them maybe a tiny bit more subtle mm-hmm. and maybe left it up for like the the viewer to pick up on. I like a little I like when kind of they leave a morsel and then when you pick it up yourself, you feel good about yourself. So there were some that I felt they put a little they let it in a little thick. But overall I, I really walked away thinking the qu- the quantity of references was right. And it it really, to my surprise, did not sour the movie for me because I normally don't like that shit. Yeah, I think it only didn't work for me in like the first half hour. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time that it really breached into and, and what I'm getting at when I'm saying like I was a little eh, little nonplussed by this, um, specifically the moment where Rooster sits at the piano and starts playing uh, Jerry Lee Lewis the same way that his dad did in the yeah. previous movie. Um, you know, I I was kind of like couldn't you just have him play piano and play a different song? Like, I think that would have worked just as well. And and it would have felt a lot less like 
you know, like masturbatory in that way. That's a great point. Um, But no, I mean, like, you know, I I don't want to sound like this ruined my enjoyment of the movie. It just might have knocked it down a little bit. Yeah, I I really think that's a good point. Like Like you're saying, have him play something in the piano that shows that he, oh, he's got this streak in him. But then on top of that, they incorporate flashbacks. Mm. Like, you know, like we're not smart enough to recognize that this is the same song his dad played. They do flashbacks to the original and stuff. So that was what I was like, I kind of wish you just let it sit on its own, you know, mm-hmm. let us find it, let us remember, mm-hmm. you know, because there may be people in the theater who have either never seen it or saw it 15 years ago and might be like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know. So but again, this is these are sort of minor quibbles. And um, but I think it is an interesting question of like, at what point is referencing your own history a bit too much in a film kind of like this? And I, I think they 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 navigated it. Well, for my taste, I think they did. Well, you and I mean, you brought something up yesterday or yeah, right as we were walking out of the movie theater that I, I didn't consider, but I think is is a great point um, that sets this movie apart is I think this movie absolutely surpasses the original in terms of the construction of uh, the ramp up to the actual ending. Yeah, because I think the the flaw of the original is like. They're just doing these training sequences. They're doing, you know, like stunt, you know, they're doing their, their, you know, uh, yeah, just training missions. And then out of nowhere, a battle comes up. But yeah. I thought it was really cool how in this movie you have the build the whole time. The to whole the time. And you, and the battle has a heist element to it. You know, mm-hmm. you were kind of talking about the structure of it where it's like, you have to do this and then you have to do this and then it ramps up and you got to do this. And yeah. like, I love that. And that's clearly like, Tom Cruise has learned a lot from doing the Mission Impossible movies of how to structure that kind of sequencing so that it builds in a way that's so satisfying and it really fucking works. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. The first movie, the only thing that drives the vast majority of the tension in the film is the competition itself between Mm -hmm. the pilots and specifically Maverick and Ice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, you know, how things shake out with Goose and things like that. That's also, but but it's not really built into the tension building of the story. And they get um, plenty of tension out of those sequences, but sure. I'm just saying it doesn't get strung together, and I think it's better yeah. filmmaking it's, on the part the of the elastic is not continually pulled about the same thing, right? Which is, which what is we kind get of the, in this. Yeah, this is kind of the counterpoint to like my problem with the uh, you know the the fan services is like they're taking the thing that they did before, but they're doing it the, like to the next level now. Yeah, and in a way that I was like, I love this. Yeah. This is great, and I love what you said too. Like as soon as they introduce what the mission's going to be which is really early in top gun maverick it's uh it is so much like a mission impossible scenario they mm-hmm. break it down they kind of show the steps you know it's a, it's a mission with chapters to it and each one contains like various different levels of difficulty and technology that they're going to face and all these different things mm-hmm. and um i just thought you know that that's something that can is easy to get wrong but I was always clear on the objective. And especially when the mission really begins at the end of the film, I was, ne- I'm never confused at like at what chapter of the mission they're in. They do such a good job of hammering home, like the, the beats that we need to hit uh, and with, with the things that the pilots need to achieve in order to succeed. Like all those seeds are so firmly planted that there's almost zero confusion throughout the whole conclusion. There was one thing I will say, and I think the movie tried to make it clear, but for some reason it wasn't clear to me. I couldn't get exactly who was in each aircraft down. Like, so towards the end, 
you know, uh, people are selected to go with Maverick on this fight. Maverick's solo, I think. And then it's like Phoenix and Bob. And then from there, I was like, who, and who's with Rooster? And like, I was just I was, I was having the same problem. I think I, if I had to guess, it, what it boils down to is there are two planes, or there's, uh, there's four planes total in the team, mm-hmm. right? There's two planes that are single man, and there are two planes that are two man. And the two oh, man okay. ones are the, like, they have to have the engineer guy to do the laser. Oh, that thing, makes sense. Yeah. Whereas the one, the one seater is just following that laser, so they you. just fire a missile from their joystick, and it's whatever. Yeah. That's how I took it. They could have made that more clear, though. Yeah, I think, and so that was a bit of a uh, of a. It's like, am I am I missing it? But you're right. I think they could have made that more clear. But what they definitely did make clear was the mission itself, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something that they executed very cleanly on, and and sort of explaining all of that. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that naturally leads into talking about the practical stunts. I mean, yeah. how fucking absurd. Unreal. Stunts. Unreal. And um, it just really, it works so well. And you can tell that they were trying to do these things so aggressively. And they they really pull it off. Like, like especially, my, I think my favorite plane stunt in the film is when it's, it's during the whole training regime. And no one can complete the course on the time required that they're going to need to do the mission. Tom Cruise kind of against the grain, as Maverick typically does, flies in to kind of prove that it is possible to do this. And that uh, sequence of him kind of, it's like kind of reverse POV of him in the cockpit. A lot of the shots are like that in that sequence anyway. And it's him doing very low to the ground bank turns obviously tom cruise you can see like the the environment around him so you know how fast he's moving and Mm -hmm. how close to the ground he is yes yeah and his and you hear his breath as he's going through the different you hear how how he's like just pushing like he's pushing his body not just the plane it's like you can feel the physical exertion in him making the facing these g's doing these tight turns these 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 crazy maneuvers and it, you just buy it completely. You buy it because it's really happening. Now, Tom Cruise is not flying these jets because the military would not allow it. But he, all of these people are really in them while these things are happening for almost all the scenes, if not all of them. They were. Uh, I, I do want to add, I read a thing that the U.S. military uh, leased these jets out to them for, uh, I think it was $11,000 an hour was the cost, the operating cost. Uh, but... The they had a specific rider in there that said Tom Cruise does not touch the joystick because <laughs> <laughs> I know he'd want to. You know, <laughs> you know he's gonna fucking yeah, try. He's a pilot, but you know <laughs> he can fly. And there's like, no, you cannot. You yeah, cannot. No, I, I love that they were like that direct about it. Tom Cruise does not touch these yeah. controls. <laughs> yeah, it's in the contract specifically. Um, but yeah, that was the one I really felt that mm-hmm. that that him kind of shaving 15 seconds off the desired runtime was not only my favorite scene in the movie, but one of my favorite in terms of just like, you really feel the intensity of the the physical aspect of flying something like this, this aggressively and mm-hmm. this hard. And again, something about the scenery and everything, the breath, the, the you just, feel, you really feel it. You really do. Yeah. No, and I and I love that they they do such a good job of establishing the different characteristics of the different pilots and what they bring to the table. Like, you know, I love all the the stuff of like Rooster being, you know, more cautious, you know, clearly like 
he comes from, you know, his dad's legacy. That makes sense for his character. Mm. And then the hangman character, like the guy who kind of ditches his co-pilots or his yeah. wingmans all, all the time. A little bit like a maverick kind mm-hmm. of. Honestly. But but a more a more like more self-absorbed maverick. Yeah. Maverick cared about his people. He just didn't yeah. give a shit about anyone else. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because hangman they kind of introduce as kind of they make him seem almost like an Iceman type. The way he's he looks and he even like puts a toothpick in at one point. Like we're led to believe, oh, this is like this movie's Iceman. Yeah. But when you think about it, he's more like Maverick than he is Iceman. And Rooster's he's, more like Iceman. Yeah. Rooster is the more cautious, um, you know, thinking oriented pilot. Totally. No, absolutely. But I, I anyway, yeah. It going back to what you were saying before, I mean the like the way they photo- photograph these scenes uh, with the actors in these. I mean, there are behind the scenes featurettes on YouTube where you can see all of these actors were in those those cockpits. Like none of this is green screen. Mm. There might be CG elements like explosions and stuff put into the background of these shots. But those are them really in those airplanes flying at and feeling those G's. Yeah. Um, and that like you can't you can't fake that. No, you, you, you just there is no way to have that the the power of that resonate yeah. without it being the real thing Dude. and i think i you know that's tom cruise's whole mantra and it and i'm just so happy he's still doing there are people out here still doing movies like this if we go all the way back to the first full episode of this program dartboard movie night we're talking about catch 22 and the incredible real plane aerial photography that's all throughout that movie stunning we and we would we're constantly talking about like you just believe it so much more when it's the real thing. Mm-hmm. And we were so kind of sad to kind of kick rocks and admits like we just don't get this anymore. We just get CGI Disneyland sort of variants that just, I mean, no disrespect to the artists involved in those sort of approaches, but it just is not the same. Right. So it's just awesome that, you know, a few months after us doing that episode, this movie lands in our lap. That's like, no, no, you can still do it the old fashioned way. You can still really shoot these planes, put the actors in these positions, film it, make it real, and it'll be a lot stronger for it. And it is 100% the case that it's like, if this was just, it just would be so lame if it was just CGI and all faked. No, absolutely. I mean, it brings me to my favorite thing to talk about with regards to Tom Cruise, which is the fact that Tom Cruise only makes movies about Tom Cruise at this point. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that this movie is... You know, that's that's this is all of it. I mean, it's it's Tom Cruise making a movie that's about his type of movie making practical, real, you know, really just doing it and and trying to capture something that you like trying to capture the once in a lifetime on film for real, you know, like. That, that that's kind of just become his ethos between the Mission Impossible series and and Top Gun and you know even his his other stuff like he like Edge of Tomorrow uh, Oblivion like he has made a conscious effort in all of his projects in the last ten years or so to do as much practically as you possibly can and to really like feel that and it, this movie essentially is about. Tom Cruise fighting to continue making Tom Cruise movies and to try and pass that torch to these younger guys yeah. and try and teach them, like, look at how cool it is to make this fucking shit. Yeah, to do it for real. Yeah, and I just, th- I think it's so funny to, like, think about, like, you know, that, <laughs> I don't know, I just, I, I, I yeah. love, it tickles me that he's he's putting up this fight for Hollywood. And I think, yeah. I, I look, again, say what you will about the guy, um, but, I mean, I think, 
I, I kind of just want to mention like the, there's a, a, a video from the set of Mission Impossible uh, Dead Reckoning, the new one that's coming out. Part one, I should say. Part one. Which Part is one. The best fucking cool thing ever that they're like calling their shot on that. Mm. But um, on the set of Dead Reckoning, you know, it was being shot during COVID. Uh, tons of protocols. The the shoot got shut down like three or four times for for outbreaks. And there's a video of crews reaming out some production people who were flaunting the COVID protocols and essentially putting the, the entire shoot at risk um, by doing so. And, and Cruz is losing his shit. And I'm not going to defend like the way he goes about it, but what he's saying with all of that is like, guys, I'm fighting for something here. Like, like yeah. we are fighting to retain your jobs. Like, yeah. because the push is to make everything more digital, move everything into like, you know, green screens and, you know, sound stages and trying to just get away from the the real thing, which is why you can justify having, you know, hundreds of people on set and cranes and, you know, like uh, and and in this movie, like he's very careful to talk about. He's trying to pass the torch like he's, he's trying to move on like. Yeah. You know, this is all he knows how to do, but he he wants to try and like convince people that it's worthwhile doing. It it kind of reminds me of like um, you know the battle that is still raging on to some degree, but like was really heating up maybe a decade ago, like digital versus film, and you had this bastion of like film based filmmakers still going on, still very much alive and well. But at the time, it was like you had these people who were the staking their claim, and they wanted to make sure that this sort of movie making did not go extinct. You know, there was a lot of fear about projectors going away and just various things, film stock itself. But it's interesting that Cruz is kind of doing this other type of movie fight. One that you're talking about is like, he's not talking, he's not fighting for a certain canvas. He's, he's fighting for a certain style of film. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, we're recording this is just pretty much the Monday after opening weekend. Um, it sounds like it's doing incredibly well at the box office, which is great to hear because it's like it's kind of a middle finger to people who think that the movie experience is dead and it's all streaming now. And, you know, maybe that is only a matter of time, like Maverick even says about the drones in the movies, like, but not today. Not and this today. movie honestly is a but not today statement about movie theaters and movies like this. It's like may, maybe one day we'll all be watching movies on our phones, on planes. And no one will give a fuck about going to the movie theaters anymore. There'll be three in the country and blah, blah, blah. But like not today. I like that you're saying one day as though that's not already happening. Already happening. But I'm saying those will be like the only options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. one day. Yeah. But not today. So. God forbid we lose movie theaters. Everyone needs to go out and support this movie and all movies. Like, go see your fucking art house, you know, movie that you normally would never watch there. Like, yeah. we need to support theaters. I don't even care if it's AMC, man. Just get out there and, and support theaters. It's it's yeah. it's a valiant effort, and we all need to take part in it. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that I was like, oh, I, I, that would have been better at home. Like, it's never, it's all, no, no matter how artsy or, and small like uh, a, a movie shots might seem, you always want to see it in the theater. It's always better in a theater. No, and it's so funny. Like, people are like, well, like, you know, I, I only want to see big movies. And like, I know that this is like one of those movies that you're like, 
well, yeah, okay, I, I can see Top Gun on the theater. But, like, you know, going to see that movie in the theater, like, it wasn't like we were watching in a crowd that was cheering and, like, getting into yeah. it. It wasn't like there weren't a lot of added elements that made it that much, you know, different than the home experience on that just surface level. Mm-hmm. It's the feeling. It's the, like, being in that dark room, not being able to pull out your phone. Like, they, like there's so many intangibles to it that people don't even consider because they're just like, well, do I want to drive to the theater or do I just want to watch it on my big-ass TV yeah. at home? And it's just like, I, yeah. I I don't know why you wouldn't want that. Yeah. But I, and I and I think you know go to a really good theater with good sound, feel that that shit, and then like start to apply that to smaller movies because I think like even like a fucking Woody Allen you know Midnight in Paris in theaters was was a delightful experience for me like yeah. back in the day. And I like I you know. I don't and know. I was thinking recently like Licorice Pizza. Like that's a yeah, movie great that example. maybe like you wouldn't think you would you got to see it in theaters. But there are some like, beautiful, beautiful fucking shots in that movie. This mm-hmm. just works so well on the big screen. So anyway, support theaters. Indeed. Indeed. Um, well, let's move on. I, I mean, uh, we don't want to like make this a super long episode. I, I think it's more just going to be gen- kind of general reactions. It's gut but, reactions. Gut but, check. But look, I, I, one, one, uh, I, I think we should probably just run through some of the supporting cast because this movie's got some great characters in it. Unreal. Like As much as it is a Tom Cruise movie, I think... More so than a lot of other uh, Tom Cruise movies, this movie does a great job of building out its its cast of characters and giving them all a unique feel uh, to them. So uh, let's let's start with with the OG Val Kilmer because yeah. I think you had a really strong reaction to Val. In this. I had an incredibly strong reaction. So I am in the dark about a lot of what Val Kilmer has going on in his life right now. So I know that a documentary recently came out that he kind of made about his own life. It's called Val. It's on Amazon. And I, um, I just, I've never, I've never been fascinated with him as an artist. I like him, but like, I've never, when I heard this documentary was out there, I was not thinking like, oh, I've got to see that. I've always wanted to see what Val Kilmer's life behind the screen was about. Never felt that way. So I did not know about all the shit that he has going on in his life until hanging out with Drew the other day. And Drew was telling me about uh, some very serious stuff that led to the creation of the Val documentary. Yeah, so I, a few years ago, Val was uh, diagnosed. I want to say with throat cancer, um, and he's been, you know, it's pr- it's been pretty aggressive, and it, it left him uh, unable to speak. Um, a lot of the time, constrained to a wheelchair, uh, and just a very frail, fragile man at this point. And it's really sad to watch him degrade. Um, and that Val documentary. Uh, it's really interesting. I mean, he directed and, and wrote it and, and compiled all of the uh, the footage that he, I mean, he was one of those guys that just would carry around a camcorder with him everywhere. So there's some like behind the scenes footage in that of like him and Tom on the set of, of Top Gun and stuff. And they were, you know, buddies. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really sweet uh, portrait of a, of a person. And weirdly, his son now sounds like he did when he was younger. And he had his son do all the uh, narration to it kind of in Val's voice, which is just uh, it's it's really it's a beautiful portrait um, of yeah. him as a person. And, and everyone should go watch it. But yeah, I mean, in this movie, he doesn't speak a word of dialogue, but uh, he speaks a few. Oh, you're right. Yep. I take that back. Yeah, he does speak a few words of dialogue, but I mean, it's extremely minimal, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's not actually his voice and they just ADR'd something. I was thinking in that there. too, um, because it is gravelly, and you know, you can't totally tell it's him. But uh, were you nervous before he came on screen? Were you nervous about how he might look, how he might seem? Because I, because I, I, you had informed me about what he has been going through, mm-hmm. and I saw that he was in the cast, and I was nervous that they were just going to 
pretend that everything was normal. And I was really kind of, I don't want to say glad, but the movie embraces the reality of, or is just honest about the reality of Val's situation right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that made me breathe a sigh of relief because they were just being kind of, they weren't trying to power through it. I think a lesser movie would have tried to like CGI his face and shit and like make him a person again. Like and yeah. You know, something terrible. And it's like, no, this movie acknowledges. And, and I think it plays into the larger theme of the movie of like Tom Cruise getting older and Tom Cruise needing to move on and like trying to pass the torch. And, um, you know, it's, it's a portrait of someone from his, his, you know, league of actors, like his, yeah. his generation, um, is starting to die off now, like, yeah. and he's still out there doing these movies. And I think it's a really like, I think it's really beautiful that they found a way to not only give Val his moment in the sun, but also to have it all thematically time to tie together, and it yeah. means something. And I think like Val is such a consummate artist that I'm sure he was so stoked to take part in this this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was emotional seeing it. And again, I don't know the current details of how how serious the cancer is at this moment. You know, hopefully we're all hoping it's maybe not not so bad. Who knows? Who knows? But, uh, you know, there's a chance this could be the last time we see him on camera. And um, if so, I hope not. But if so, um, you know, it's a really beautiful like he looks amazing. Like he looks like a movie star. Um, Like it was just really you know, it's a, it was an emotional experience watching it, you know, because we're all heading to the same conclusion. But when you see someone on camera who appears to be closer to it than others, mm-hmm. it's just um, it's really emotional. And especially within the film, them speaking about it so frankly mm-hmm. and even even saying it's like, oh, they're pretty much saying the cancer's back. And, you know, it's we don't know how long he has and then he dies, uh, you know, in the film. It was just uh you know, I, and I, I didn't feel manipulated either. It didn't feel uh, cheap. It felt like uh, I no, was having, yeah. I didn't feel like I was conned, you know? No, I felt like it was actually Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer in their own way, kind of having a cathartic moment together. I think so and, too. And, you know. They're saying goodbye to each other. Yeah. Uh, in, in, a, in a very serious way and kind of uh, using that in their in their movie as towards art. You know? I think it's the single best uh, monologue delivery that Cruz has given in the last like 10 years. Like, yeah. you know, like even though I love Tom Cruise and I think he gives incredible performance, I think his fallout performance is like Oscar worthy. I think it's yeah. incredible, but I'm, I'm saying it, it's, it's still like a Tom Cruise kind of mannered thing. And, and there's a level of emotionality in that scene with Val Kilmer that I haven't seen him bring to the table in a For long sure. time. And it's and it's powerful, man. Yeah. When, like he, it, you can tell, it's really coming from a real place for him. Well, and I was getting torn up from Bruce's face at the funeral. Mm. Like I haven't seen him be that emotionally raw in a long time. You know, yeah. a lot of times, you know, maybe I can think of like a scene in like Mission Impossible Three when uh, you know his wife is kind of like duct tape across from him. Like he goes into some really deep emotions there. But that's like a a terror, fear based. Yeah. It's different. This is it's just, intense. He's yeah. always intense. It's like, an, and when exactly. when he dials up to to eleven, you know, you're getting Tom Cruise. You know, yeah. But this is him, like, really restrained. Yeah, at a funeral, like, kind of reminds me of um, him in Magnolia when he finally gets to like the bedside of his father. Like, he's he's going, he's dipping into that sort of well. Yeah. Um, and I didn't expect to see that in a new Top Gun movie. You know, I was expecting whiz bang boom, and it's got a lot of that, but. I was really tearing up at several moments. I was like, God damn it, movie, you got me. You know, yeah. I, just, I, feel, cause fine, I can feel silly sometimes when a movie really 
kind of gets me emotional because mm. uh, I know that why I don't know because I know it's the objective of the thing and I don't like feeling uh, manipulated sometimes. Uh, so I can I, I have a tendency to resist it in a way. Mm. Um, but again, this movie got me feeling emotional, but I didn't feel like I was it was again, like I said, not in a cheap way. No, I it's coming from a real place. Yeah, it was. Just, you can always tell when that stuff is artificial versus. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of my reasons I don't like heavy handed scores where it's just like, yeah, don't fair. tell me how to feel. You know, it's like <laughs> annoying. But. Um, but yeah, classic Jared stubbornness. I love it. Oh yeah, classic. <laughs> uh, but don't yeah. tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought their use of Val Kilmer and where is he is at not only in his life, the character, but the career, hmm. all makes sense for what we know about Iceman. Yeah, just um, on a writing level. Yeah, just from a story perspective. Like at this yeah. point, he is like an admiral in the navy, and it makes sense. He was someone who was always on top of shit. Mm-hmm. He always exhibited leadership qualities, ability to call bullshit if he saw it. Uh, so it makes sense that he was so successful in his military career. And it made sense that Maverick was not really um, in terms of like, you know, ladder climbing, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but well, let's yeah. Uh, let's move on. I, I want to talk about Jennifer Connelly. Uh, how do mm-hmm. you feel about it? I mean, this is the first like age appropriate love interest that Cruz has had in a long time. Yeah. I mean, she's she's obviously a babe and um, total babe. Not stiff competition, but it's a definitely a more believable love story than the original Top Gun, which I never really bought that one myself. It always seemed kind of like, I don't know. And we were talking about it the other day. I do like the rhythm of that courtship. Mm. It has a lot of ups and downs, and there's moments where one is retreating and the other the is The structure coming. of it. Yeah, you, you, the, the yeah. pace of it. But the, what, the content of the actual scenes, I don't feel the chemistry there. So it never really sure. works. Uh, this has more than that. And uh, I like it. Um, and there were there were parts where it really peaked in terms of my enjoyment of it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I was like, yeah, this is solid. Like, it's a slightly believable uh, I, I romance thought it's, angle. I thought it was like the most believable I've seen Tom Cruise in a romance like in a long time. It, yeah. it felt like they actually had genuine affection for each other, which yeah. like quite honestly with as robotic as, as Cruise can be, like, you know, it, it, it can be tough, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, I think, Rebecca Ferguson more or less pulls it off in the Mission Impossible series, but I think her performance is buoyed by the fact that she's just such a badass in those movies that like I can kind of look past any weird shit with the the romance side. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like I, I just I just love Jennifer Connelly. I've always loved her. Like she's been one of my favorite actors since I was a kid and saw her. And uh, I think the first time I saw her was um, what's the Ron Howard uh, Beautiful Mind. The yeah uh, yeah. Um, not a great movie, but she's awesome in it. And yeah. I just, I've, I've always thought she was gorgeous, you know, but she also can just deliver these really, really deep, uh, emotional performances. And I actually, I loved that this movie let her be light and fun. Yeah. You know, like I think like, like the bell ringing at the bar and yeah, kind of busting she's, balls. She's playful. Bit. And, yeah. and like, you know, I, I, I think that's the thing that's missing in the, um, the original movies romances. It feels so very like we are both hard and and strong people and we need to fuck because we are hard and strong people. (laughs) And like it it, like, and because of that, the, the love scene just feels so fucking false and weird. And like, it just never works. It's also shot terribly. (laughs) I like Kelly McGillis, but yeah, uh, Yeah. that, that, that never works. But Connolly in this, I think that completely works. I love it. Yeah. I I liked it. There were moments I really liked it. Like when she's kind of starting to fall for him again, Mm -hmm. she does that thing. Where she like kind of uh, says goodnight and then like leans against the inside of the door 
and it just has that kind of dazed, lovey look. It's like I like that moment a lot. Where I will say the move where she goes in the door and leaves the door open behind her is pretty fucking sexy. That's that a sexy is, move. That's a sexy move. Also, when Tom Cruise goes out the window and lands in front of the daughter <laughs> that he's trying to avoid, it's like a comedic bit, but uh, really kind of cool emotional turn really quickly. Yeah. So, you know, we're watching this in the theater. The crowd's laughing. It's a funny moment. And then the daughter says uh, something along the lines of just don't break her heart again. And all of a sudden it's not a funny scene. Yeah. And one time. And Cruz's face, like, like it he changes. sells it. Yeah. Cause yeah. he's like, I, I know I've, I've fucked up. Or I wonder if part of him is thinking, I kind of thought she was breaking mine or like, I don't know. I, I don't know if he felt like he was aware that he really, Broke her up. There's a revelatory aspect yeah, for sure. A lot but, of things going on. Yeah. But, but just think, cool to see such a, a, a quick emotional pivot in the middle of this like action movie where you think they're trying to stick the landing for a laugh. No pun no, intended. Totally. But then they take a little bit of time to make it a, a bit more rich of a scene, which yeah. is cool. Well, let's talk about the the other people in the crew. Yeah. I, I mean, how'd you feel about Miles Teller? What's your background with him as an actor? Um, I don't know much about him. I recognized him. Um you know, I knew nothing of the story going into this movie, and I got really excited when I started to realize that that Goose's son was going to be in the movie. I was like, oh shit, this makes sense for the, the mm-hmm. timing. We, we saw his son in the original film. Like, it all worked. And I think from a casting perspective, uh, trying to get someone who looks like him, looks like Goose, they did a great job. Mm-hmm. And uh, performance-wise, I thought it was really solid. I like the whole tension they put between uh, Maverick and, and Rooster and like the, the reasons for both of them kind of acting as they do. Um, I liked the sort of detective aspect that the other pilots went through when they saw this interaction between mm-hmm. this teacher and Rooster. And they're like, something's going on here. And various people would pick up on like a photograph or something else and start piecing it together. Um, I, so I really dug that whole storyline. And I thought it was a really good performance. Yeah, I I think for me, I don't like Miles Teller as an actor generally. Mm-hmm. I think um, I love him in Whiplash. I think Whiplash is a incredible movie. Um, that's and, where I recognize him from. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's the one that that immediately comes to mind for me. Um, I, I he's not bad in the Spectacular now either. I liked that movie. Um, I, I've seen him in a couple of, like a few other things though that I was just like, oh, man, I I don't know. And something about his his off screen persona uh, irks me. Uh, he he strike. It, I, I don't know what it is. I find him to be somewhat unlikable as a presence. Yeah. But that being said, I think he works in this movie. And I mean, to your point, I mean, he he looks exactly like Anthony Edwards did at the, yeah. point, at the time he really of the original. Uh, it fits perfectly. The mustache is great. Um, and but, and I think towards the end, I got sold on him more. I, I think I think as that character starts to gain confidence, I started to like that that performance more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm kind of meh on Miles Teller, but it, he worked for me. Yeah, I thought he was uh, serviceable to very good. Like, throughout the movie, he was in that range for me. Where I was like, oh, that's a pretty good scene. And then at times, like, oh, that was really good. So yeah. I, I, I liked it a lot. I do really want to mention Glenn Powell because he's an actor that I fucking love. I am so excited to watch his career develop. But he's the guy who plays Hangman. Um, and I've seen him in a bunch of stuff recently. And every time he's on screen, he is electric he brings a really fun energy to all the movies that he's in and like i love i love that this character is um he's an asshole 
but I totally am on board when when he gets his his you know reversal at the end of the movie and becomes the hero. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I I I buy him as both the the asshole and the good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean all of those characters make a big shift when Maverick proves himself to them on that sure. run. We were no, talking no, no, about. totally. It wakes all of them up. That's and, and you know, like okay, this guy's the fucking real. They deal. know their real even place. though <laughs> he's been absolutely farming them in the air, like in the whole training sequences of like you're dead, you're gone. Gotcha. But he's catching. Yep, he's also bye. catching them in like off guard. He's trying to like you know yeah. like they're 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 playing those sequences on the back foot. Right, but they're but like even then, they still. I feel like even with those losses, they're still not super respecting him. But, no, when, totally, yeah. but yeah, when he does that course, it gets everyone's attention. And that's when I think that character, Hangman, really starts changing. So after that moment, um, he starts shifting gears and becomes more team oriented mm-hmm. as a pilot. And it is like you can see the disappointment in his face when he's not selected for the primary crew. I kind of uh, feel bad for him. You feel bad bit. for him a little bit. Uh but you see, you see, as kind of the the teamwork side of him is there, you know. Again, and this is all kind of cheesy movie one hundred and one, but it fucking works. But that's the thing, like cheesy movie one hundred and one, it's the kind of thing where like we can talk about it and we can be like, well, yeah, obviously this one does it well, this one does it bad. Yeah. But getting it right is tough. Yeah. Like it is. It is like a really unsung talent to be able to rein in uh, campiness and and yeah. and um, you know just playing the scene exactly how people expect it. Yep. You know, like to do that and have it still feel fresh, that's that's yeah. hard to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, how, how do you feel about Glenn Powell as an actor? Um, I didn't recognize him, um, but I liked the performance. That was good. You know, kind of a bit of a heel that changes over time and yeah. a heel you want in your corner. He played Definitely. it well. Last one I wanted to shout out from the crew was uh, Monica Barbaro. I thought she was like really a great cool. presence and like it didn't feel like you know the token woman on the crew like she yeah. felt like she deserved to be there and I, I i loved her performance so i just wanted to shout her yep. out real quick she was dope i loved lewis pullman as bob mm-hmm. uh, that was a really strong performance mm-hmm. and one thing i don't think there's a way they could have done this differently but i wish we could have got to spend a little more time with the pilots who didn't make it on the final crew there's only mm-hmm. so much time to work with in a movie and it would probably feel flabby even if they did that but we got snippets of these characters, like when they're entering the bar. You know, there was that guy, I think his name, he's played by Manny Jacinto. I might be mispronouncing that name, but his call name's Fritz. But it's like, it's when all the pilots are starting to realize that all the best are being called for this mission, you know? We get little snippets of these people and these characters, but we just don't have the opportunity to spend a lot of time with them. So I wish we could have spent more time with them. It's so funny. Manny Jacinto is an actor that I'm really familiar with, and I did not even pick up that he was oh. in this movie. Yeah, because he's he, you know, he's one of the persons that like that Phoenix played by uh, Monica Barbaro. Like when she when she sees him walk in, she's kind of like, oh holy shit, he's here, and it's like, oh this guy must carry a lot of weight. And I was really hoping that he was going to end up being one of the guys. I don't know why I didn't so even recognize time. him, but he's Jason Mendoza from The Good Place. Oh, cool, nice. Yeah, which uh, I love that show. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I wish we could have spent a little bit more time with them. There's like only there's, so much time in a movie. But there's only so much time. And, yeah. um, you know, I think, if anything, maybe we get a, a Top Gun sequel that doesn't have crews in it, and it's these people, you know. Yeah, I, I would be down for that. I would point. be super I liked down. all of these characters. Yeah, I'd be super down. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's that's kind of all I wanted to go over with the crew. Um, you know, I like I guess, John Hamm. I love seeing him. 
No, totally. I mean, I've got other people. Don't get me wrong. Oh, okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, John Hamm is great. I, I've always loved seeing him, and I think like uh, he's good in this. He, you know, he has to play the wet blanket, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a, a thankless role in in the movie, but it's necessary. And without him, like you don't get the the reversal of you know Tom Cruise actualizing you know his yep. mission and you know it's it's he has to he has to be the red tape and mm-hmm. that's okay because a movie like this has to have that and i think he does it really well for sure um i love john ham ed harris was great in a small role yeah briefly in it but um i mean who doesn't like ed harris he's just a fucking all-timer med dog for sure possible big dog not this performance not this performance but, but we'll wait till we we catch him on a, a better I'll, day but. you know one of these days i might make a conscious effort to put an ed harris movie on the board that i have not seen because I, I have love a theory him. i have a theory that they designed the canyons in this movie uh based on ed harris's face <laughs> that's a good theory yeah i like that that is a craggy motherfucker yeah I, and also, he gets craggier every year. When did too. he? Did he like? Was his first role like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross? Was he born an old man? Like I've never <laughs> seen a young Ed Harris role, and I would love to, but I don't know he, if it uh, even exists. I mean, he's always been bald. Like, yeah, he's always been bald. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, the first, the earliest role I can even think of him, and it's not his earliest role because he wouldn't have gotten this without a career before it. But the only one I can think of is The Abyss. Yes. Yeah, that's right. With Bruce Willis. Hmm. Yeah. No, 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 no. Bruce Willis. Oh, I'm. Th- what's the movie I'm thinking of with Bruce Willis? I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe you're nothing. I might be making something. Up. Uh, no, but the Abyss is uh, James Cameron. That's and, right. And, and like Harris alien... is the main role. It's Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. That's right. Um, and uh, who else is in that? I'm trying to think. Nobody else really. But it's uh, it's the the one that they shot entirely underwater, basically, and James Cameron basically drowned the entire crew and everyone hates him for making that movie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like in James anyway, Cameron. That's the earliest I can think of Ed, yeah. Ed Harris, but love seeing him. He's yeah. uh, he's only in the beginning of this movie, but I think he uh, he nails the scenes he's in. Yeah. The only other guy I really wanted to shoot out because this is a role that I think so easily could be overlooked and I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about it, but in a movie like this, you absolutely, for the Maverick character or whoever the central character is, you have to have a good sidekick. And Hondo in this movie, played by Ooh. Bashir Salahuddin, yeah, perfect Great sidekick. sidekick. You just you got to have that warm buddy buddy presence, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing that Ving Rhames does for him in the Mission Impossible series. It's just like the big kind of husky best friend. Uh, like the, it's just it's the energy of that character. Ah, I loved it. Every time yeah. Hondo was on screen, I was like, give me more Hondo. Yep. Yep. Like, especially thinking of those early scenes where Tom Cruise is trying to go past Mach 10. Yeah. <laughs> he's, and, he's perfect. And before that, the guy's like, we don't want to go to 10 1. We don't want to go to 10 2. All we need is 10. And then, of course, when Tom Cruise starts pushing it, he's just like, oh, no. He's well, because they, they get to the, the point where he hits 10 and it's like, yes, he hit 10. Yeah. And everyone's freaking out. And he sees it And then, like, Hondo has to be the, the uh, focal point of, like, fuck me. He's going to go further. He's going for it, that dick. <laughs> but yeah, he was great. He was really, but really he, good. But I think he, the scene when Maverick is about to take off for the final mission and he's like, he's pretty sure he's like, I might not come back from yeah. this. They, the two of them, if they didn't have the chemistry they did, that scene doesn't work and it yeah. fully works. Works big time. So, anyway, just want to shout out Bashir Saladin, uh, really good actor. I have not seen him in other stuff, but I really I want him to get a lot more work off of this because he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, 
I think that does it for the actors. Were there any others that you wanted to call out? No, no. That's good for me. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I think we've kind of covered most of this movie. Uh, Do you have any other wrap-up thoughts you kind of want to get to before we we finish up here? I wanted to do just a couple of shout-outs. I think it's really cool. One One of those things I did not see coming in this movie, I mentioned there were some, is the fact that there's sort of a shot down component where both Maverick and Rooster get shot down and they're kind of on the run on foot. Mm. Didn't expect seeing that in the Top Gun movie. And it was really cool to kind of get a sample of that pilot shot down, underarmed, behind enemy lines sort of scenario. Um, it's just cool that they spent a few minutes, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes total, but they invested some time into it kind of exploring that a little bit. That was unexpected. That was super cool. Um, and I must say it worked like gangbusters, the whole F-14 coming back into fold and like having to go up against these high tech planes. And, you know, it's about who's in the box. It's not about the plane, all that shit. Uh, but particularly the uh, fan service hat tip to the F-14 uh, worked for me. Because as a kid, I was always more of a World War II uh, propeller based plane fan. But the F-14 Tomcat with the shifting wings was always a favorite of mine in terms mm-hmm. of jets. And um, it was just uh, kind of cool to see as, you know, fans of the original or fans of that plane in general. Uh, it's just cool that it's in there. Yeah, it's always fun to introduce a rinky-dink technology against modern technology yeah. plot. Like that's, you know, again, going back to this is exactly what Tom Cruise wants to yeah. talk about. Cheese 101, but it fucking works. Good cheese. Nothing wrong with good cheese. No, good slice of cheese. Uh, yeah. Any other? Any with a heavy dose of ham with it. Yeah, ham and cheese. Got to corral it. Yeah, I don't I don't really have much beyond that. I mean, the whole fucking last 40 minutes of this movie is a roller coaster like it, it's it's some of the most intense shit I've ever seen on film. Um and again, going back to just they do a great job of setting up the stakes of everything and building up to this battle and then when the battle happens, it lives up to every bit of setup that they oh, set up. This is so cool. It's not, you know, it, it it's I think when they when they're you know describing the the plot, they say we we are relying on two miracles to happen with mm-hmm. this, and you believe that it's a fucking miracle that yeah. they pull that off at yeah. the end, which you know I I think is tough to do. Like you can you can throw around like this thing is impossible. I can't. We, there's no way we're gonna do that. But like most movies, you're like yeah, all right, fuck off. I'm in a movie. You're gonna pull it off. Yeah. Whatever. You still believe that they might not pull it off in this, and that's uh, to to get you in that headspace is that's an, a feat in itself for sure. Well, I think uh, that'll do it on our Top Gun Maverick episode. Bu- 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 uh, bu- 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 bonus episode, big old fucking bonus. Um, <laughs> not sure if this is going to drop on a normal day or if it's going to be a rando drop day, but you'll see this in your feed sometime soon. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie already. And you're at this point in the podcast. What the fuck are you doing? Go see Top Gun. (laughs) See it. All right. We'll wrap up there. Light up. Sorry, Mark. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or if you have a bullseye selection you want to send our way, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. If it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line bullseye confidential. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. <laughs>